0: Welcome to episode number 85 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about preventing drier fires and explosions using superheated steam. And to do that, we have on the call Prem Verma, Managing Director of Swedish Exergy, based out of Gothenburg, Sweden. Prem has over 20 years with the company. He's an expert in drying technology and managing fire and explosion hazards in these systems. Prem, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, and I want to welcome you to the show today.
1: Thank you for having me on the show.
0: We're really excited to have Prem on. The Swedish Exergy team reached out a number of months ago to talk about our research and what we are seeing for fires and explosions in dryer systems, um, which those of you that you know have been listening to the podcast will know we, we do see them quite a bit. They come from um, arising in different ways, involving combustible dust, involving gases, and we really had some back and forth dialogue on the status of that through those discussions. Prem and his team talked about this concept of using superheated steam, which they use in their dryers to prevent these types of fires and explosions from happening. So through those discussions, we thought we haven't had this as a topic on the podcast before. So we really want to get out to you, the listener, to talk about these dryers, fires and explosions, why they happen, um, what are the traditional protection options, what are some options for nerding these types of systems, and then how does this kind of superheated steam system that we see from companies like Swedish Exergy fit in as a a type of solution for these types of hazards. So that's what we're talking about in this episode. I think jumping right in, Prem and I kind of went through an outline before the interview, and we thought the the best place to start was just what are the different ways that these types of dryer fires and explosions actually happen in industry?
1: The traditional drying technologies available on the market use uh, air as a drying area. Uh, And air contains oxygen. And the dryer has... A combination of uh, of dust, certain concentration, and oxygen. And the third component needed for fire or explosion to happen is uh, energy source, which could be a small spark from a machine, from a rotating uh, machine falling object through that, not a bolt, that can ignite the dust inside the dryer and cause uh, fire and explosion. So the ingredients needed for causing the fire explosion are present in traditional dryers all the time. And that can happen at any time in, in the drying process using uh, air as a drying media, which traditional dryers do.
0: And I'm always curious when I see a dryer, a little less with the the fire, because we kind of know what the fuel is there most of the time. It's it's generally the the solid material. but When we see an explosion, there's always a question on whether or not it was a dust cloud that ignited inside the dryer or a, a gas cloud either from off gassing or smoldering combustion, releasing combustion products. When you've seen these happen in industry and kind of with your knowledge, how much do you see one over the other? Or is there you know, is there a typical way that we see these explosions arise? Are they they usually combustible dust related as the fuel or is it more the off gases that we see?
1: It's happening uh, mostly uh, with the dust concentration areas inside the dryer or even in the systems where dust is being separated from air. So you need a certain concentration of dust uh, along with, uh, with, with the with oxygen and the, and the source of energy to start the process. So it, it is likely to happen in different sections of the, of the drying process but mostly in the areas where there's a high dust concentration and it is dry. So uh, towards end of the drying process, the process is more susceptible to fire and explosion rather than the beginning where the dust is wet and it's not so much of a free dust available uh, in the dryer.
0: Yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. And I always say, cause some people complain that we report the dryer fires or sorry, the dryer explosions in the incident reporting if they're off gas related. But I, I always kind of point out that, want to point out that the whole purpose of this podcast and the whole purpose of Dust Safety Science is for industries handling combustible dust, whether or not the hazard is actually the, the gaseous fuel that's igniting. And then beyond that, what normally happens is that if it is an initial gas explosion, it picks up dust in the ductwork or elsewhere in the dryer or through the dust collection system if it's not um, functioning right and you have dust in there. We've seen that in previous episodes of the podcast, nylon flock explosion in a dryer, where they did see this initial gas ignition, but then that led to a subsequent dust explosion that propagated throughout the, the dust collection system that owned to the facility. So we do see kind of both topics, and that's why we report on them in the, the incident database. What are some of the, I guess we'll call them the traditional options for dryer fire and explosion protection that you guys have seen in these more traditional systems?
1: Uh, In the traditional systems, uh, it's almost mandatory uh, to install uh, fire and explosion protection equipment in order to get regulatory and legal approval to operate the dryer. And the systems that are available and are being used in the market are spark detection and extinguishing systems, which will be um, consisting of uh, installation of spark detectors at uh, strategic points in the system followed by uh, quenching, which could be, uh, normally it is water to spray if uh, there is a fire incident. When coming to explosion protection systems, again, there is a detection equipment needed uh, in the form of uh, spark. And then uh, you need to install uh, explosion vents in order to allow the explosion, if that has happened to go safely outside without hurting people or other equipment around it. Uh, design could be two ways. One is to design it the system to be sacrificial. That sacrificial that means the equipment can be sacrificed, but we have to protect people around it. The other systems which are, which are can be also protect the equipment, but that's more expensive uh, design wise, more equipment needed, uh, uh, more stronger equipment needed and you will have for explosion suppression systems are also installed using uh, inert gas like uh, uh, carbon dioxide cylinders which are installed at different points to allow the system to be filled with inert gas in case a spark is detected at some point of time to to allow or to prevent the explosion from happening if if it can be prevented uh, in in the in the system so you need a lot of uh, expensive set of equipment as protection equipment for both fire and explosion and they I call them non-productive equipment because these equipment are not contributing to the drying process itself these are additional equipment additional cost to the process because of the risk for fire and explosion the systems with the air as a, as a dry medium, traditional dryers need to be, to be uh, certified according to certain regulations. In Europe, for example, it's called ATEX, where you need to meet these regulations, and often these have to be uh, verified by third parties like DNV, Loyce Register, or similar, who will have to say that your uh, design calculations are right, your explosion venting is right and you you fulfill the regulations and and other legal requirements. On top of that, uh, there are uh, other big problems or not problems. So The cost, I would say, is in terms of insurance cost for the plant, uh, which is often high considering the risk of fire and explosion, even with the, the protection and prevention equipment being installed. The insurance companies often charge quite high premium for the systems, which have a risk because they need to evaluate the risk and the safety of people, safety of equipment. Everything has to be to be taken care. Of. So, in, in total terms, the the uh, the traditional systems needs to be protected at high cost, and uh, they do not give value to the company because they are not part of the productive equipment. Let's say it doesn't produce anything.
0: And I made a couple notes there. I think, th- so the non-productive equipment's an important one. I think we'll come back to that when we talk about this superheat steam as an additional option. Um, but a couple other sort of points, and I we are in COVID-19 at the moment, and my neighbor just started his lawnmower up. So hopefully he, you guys won't be able to pick that up on the microphone. <laughs> but two other points, the explosion protection and the inert gas systems, is this either or, or are they usually applying inert gas systems plus spark detection and fire quenching and venting or explosion suppression. Is it, is it one of the others? They, are they doing both these types of approach at the same time?
1: Both approaches are needed, but the point of application could be a little bit uh, different at, uh, for different uh, protection technologies. So you you would need both systems, uh, like explosion venting is a must. So th- that's needed from the explosion protection point of view. Uh, inert gas, inerting is also needed but in some cases or some areas you can have detection and quenching that is enough but in the areas which is which is more likely to get the 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 risk uh, the high risk areas for explosion and, and uh, especially needs a separate explosion protection so you you need a
0: combination of the two do you ever when you're talking with folks in the industry cuz we get this in other industries quite a bit where if it's inerted then sort of, you know, wipe your hands, you're done and you don't worry about cases where it's not inert, like start up and shut down and process upset conditions. Do you, when you see these sort of inerted um, solutions, do you see that in in um, these industries or is the, the regulation and, and knowledge kind of such that they still have some recognition as a hazard there, even if you're using um, a partial or fully inertia nerding system? Uh,
1: technically, um It is possible to inert uh, the traditional dryers as well by using um, inert gas, let's say nitrogen, uh, replacing air inside the dryer. This would minimize or or reduce uh, risk of uh, explosion and fire in the traditional dryer, but the cost of um, maintaining such inert system for the drying process is pretty high because you need a continuous supply of the inert gas going in the dryer and leaving the dryer at the other end and making the whole system uh, more uh, more complex in design and also more costly to operate if you need to maintain inert atmosphere inside the dryer.
0: Then the other solution is to use the is it the combustion gases that they kind of feed back through to, to- partially or fully inert the the dryers
1: that is correct you can have a flue gas uh, as uh, as inerting media also but the flue gas is safe to a large extent as long as oxygen levels are maintained all the time at low level yeah but if you exceed oxygen levels beyond a set limit at some point of time the risk goes up yeah. but yes it is possible to to use flue gas as inerting media to to allow, to some extent yeah.
0: Okay, because so we have seen explosions in dryers that are inerted or partially inerted. That way, and it's the same thing that you said. You need to monitor the oxygen levels,
1: absolutely,
0: to to make sure that they're <laughs> make sure you don't have an explosible mixture there. You talked about the fire triangle and the explosion pentagon. If you have too much oxygen or enough oxygen, then you can have that explosion. Correct. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, the the, the levels you have to maintain is uh is is four to six percent max oxygen level in the in the flue gases. In order to stay outside the risk. Yeah. If you go over that, the, the risk is, is high. Again, uh, and also with the combustion systems, when you start the system or when you shut down the system, you need to make sure that the entire system has been um, evacuated properly, not to allow high levels of CO2 concentration in the system, which again, can itself cause an explosion. Yeah,
0: yeah certainly. So That's kind of the first point I want to dive into, these technologies. I think you Gave us a really good overview and background of them. There, the other side of the coin is you. You mentioned that these dryer systems are heavily regulated and have certification. They follow ATEX. You you need a, a independent third party certification. You may not know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it. And if you don't know, then I'll we'll we'll have another podcast episode to cover it. Is that same level of regulation on these sort of dryers present in? in North America, um, from your understanding, through other regulatory bodies, or is it kind of a different system for the dryers? I don't know the answer myself.
1: It is the same uh, or similar regulations that are uh, in place in North America also, which they have to fulfill the health and safety regulations. Then you have something called NFPA standards. Those all have to be followed, even even, to some extent, BDI is applicable in America as well. So... There are parallel or similar standards as ATEX applicable in uh, in states as well and and North America.
0: Okay, perfect. So I think we gave the background on those we'll call them traditional options for fire and explosion protection, and we're we're only really calling them traditional because we're talking about a different option here in this episode as well. But what is what is this superheated steam? How is that used in the the Swedish Exergy and similar types of systems offered by other companies? As the drying medium how does that reduce the fire and explosion hazards in dryers uh,
1: To start with uh, I would like to point out that steam is an inert gas and water is used to extinguish fire basically so this when it's converted to steam it is an inert gas and the superheated steam dryer contains steam inside which means the drying media is 100% inert uh, we have conducted um, practical measurements uh, in, in cases where clients have demanded that you, you should demonstrate that there's no oxygen inside the dryer. We have done measurements and demonstrated that there is no ox- no measurable oxygen present inside the steam dryer that we deliver. And that's one aspect which, pre- which makes the comp- dryer completely inert. Pre- uh, preventing any kind of uh, fire or explosion. Uh, the other is uh, the question about ingress of oxygen from outside, which can happen in the dryers, uh, but in our dryer it cannot happen because it operates above atmospheric pressure. So we have a uh, slight overpressure in the dryer from half a bar gauge up to three bar gauge, which means that if anything leaks, from the drying system, it is steam leaking outside if something happens and not the air coming inside the dryer. So by this also, the dryer is inherently protected against ingress of oxygen by leakage or by the system failure uh, for some region, wherever if there's a flange uh, starts leaking or or something else happens that starts leaking. So it leaks the, the steam outside, yeah. This way, we have completely, not just reduced the risk, but we have completely eliminate the risk of fire and explosion inside the superior steam dryer that we deliver. And on top of that, uh, we have delivered several plants and there is no need to evaluate the dryer from any regulatory point of view like ATEX or any other regulation applicable for, for explosion or fire. Uh, this is... This is not required for our dry system
0: that means that you don't require explosion vents and suppression as well because you're you don't have any oxygen in the system it's all steam and because it's pos- positive pressurized, you're not getting in- ingressive ingress of oxygen as well that is correct maybe we'll try to and it's often difficult on a on a podcast episode to paint the picture for the the listeners um but maybe we'll talk a bit about what does the system look like you know how does the se- how does the steam where does it come from, and how does that kind of be included? And we'll include links in the show notes at dustsafety-science.com slash eighty five to Swedish XRG's website, and, and maybe even a link to the the superheated steam dryer system, so people can actually go there and and look at how it functions. But is there a is there a way we can describe that in words on this episode that people can kind of visualize it?
1: I will try my best to uh, short and um, description, uh, which is hopefully understandable to the listeners. The system uh, is designed as a closed-loop system. So the dryer has no openings to the atmosphere. So We do not discharge any gas to the atmosphere. So all the drying media, which is steam, is recirculated in the system. So it's a fully closed system. Uh, the moisture in the feedstock, the biomass, sludge, or any other product, gets converted into steam inside the dryer, which forms the drying media. The dryer is always indirectly heated, which means we do not mix the heating media with the drying media, so the the product or the steam never comes in contact with, with, let's say, if you use flue gas, if you use high pressure steam, if you use thermal oil in contact with the heating media. The feeding to the dryer and discharge from the dryer is always done using um, Tromax rotary valves, which are a patented uh, technology uh, developed uh, in Germany, which we uh, have uh, procured and we own the technology and the patents and everything, which keeps the system sealed from outside atmosphere. So we can maintain, let's say, two bar gauge inside the dryer, and we can feed the biomass into the system using these uh, rotary valves, which are kind of, uh, we call it a lock system where you feed uh, the product through this and this has a pockets, which means the pockets are filled and they rotating at slow speed and dropping the product inside and while coming up, maintaining the seal, empty and the pixel product again and then drops in the dryer. So they, they, they function as as a sealed system into the dryer while feeding the product a similar uh, rotary valve is used for discharging the product from pressurized system to the atmosphere because we need to take it out from the dryer and this again is sealed system so we don't allow any 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 ingress of air to get, get in there so the pockets are sealed they are um, guaranteeing uh, uh, that the system always remains full of steam and Uh, A small amount of leakage that happens through the pockets is the steam that is coming out from the system, as I said before, it's pressurized, So you have a small amount of leakage coming out from the dryer, not going in the dryer. Uh, This way, we can recycle the steam once the product is separated in a cyclone, back to the heating point, and then to pick up point for the product, and everything keeps in circulation. By a circulation fan centrally placed in the system, it works like a heart in the human body, which keeps everything in circulation. We feed in, we take it out. So the basically the drying process is working in in suspension, what we call it. It's a, it's a traditional comparison is to a flash dryer, wherein you have the particles suspended in the drying media, in this case superheated steam, and transported at the same time. To a cyclone where it is separated, uh, the superheated steam that is heated in the, in the in the in the in the heat exchanger we call it superheater. It's a cell tube heat exchanger where we can put in the drying energy indirectly on the cell side and heat the, the drying steam on the tube side, and then circulate back to the feeding point again. So as the process continues, we produce more and more steam, and to To set the pressure, let's say 2 bar gauge or 2.5 bar gauge, we have a control valve which releases the steam from the dryer uh, continuously to a a secondary system where the energy can be utilized for district heat production, for power production, for process heating, or uh, for other uh, process heat applications. thus minimizing the energy consumption as well for the the drying process. So we can recover towards 90% of the energy that we put in for drying from the beginning. And if you compare the the energy balance with traditional dryers, we need about 30 to 40% lower amount of energy in terms of input energy, gross input. But if we take out and utilize the energy, uh, to the extent of 80 to 90 percent, we are down to about 20 percent of, of net energy consumption compared to traditional dryers, excluding the RTOs and other systems needed to treat the uh, the off gases from VOCs um, and other contaminants before going out to atmosphere. As we said, we also uh, make the installation quite compact on the ground, so it's, it's built on height, so you need less space compared to other technologies to build horizontal, then you need a lot of space on the ground. Uh, we have advantage which is not maybe very particular to the, to the biomass uh, drying, but if you have applications like sludge or similar, or animal feed, or other things wherein product sterilization is important, where you don't want any bacteria like salmonella or similar to survive after the drying process, we guarantee that 100%. So nothing can survive after our process. The product is completely sterilized. This this is how it works and there are some advantages of the system, but the main point is the system is, is fully closed. It is pressurized and no oxygen can enter the system during operation.
0: Yeah, I'll give a bit of a summary there because you you mentioned a lot of uh, important points. I just want to uh, give a shot at summarizing for the listeners. So in terms of the system, we have a closed loop. Um, there's a, a rotary valve on the inlet and a rotary valve on the exit. The rotary valve's designed in a way such that it's um, airtight, essentially. You do get a little bit of escapage of the superheated steam as it comes out because the system's pressurized. The whole goal is really so the rotary valve isn't uh, feeding um, air into the system as well. The steam comes from the stock, so you have this kind of startup process, and we'll we'll talk about this in a moment, where you feed through the stock, either biomass or sludge or or whatever, and the the water comes from the water content comes from that. You have indirect heating, so the heating elements, heating oil, or or however you're actually heating the system is separate from the the flow of the superheated steam. And this gives this closed loop then, in which you can um, dry your your product, um, either biomass or sludge. What other industries, uh, I want to keep going with the summary here, but what kind of industries are these dryers typically installed in? You mentioned a few of them already, but maybe this is a good point to to expand on here. Yeah, thank you for summarizing. It's nice. And
1: the industries uh, that are having our dry system installed on commercial scale are biomass, uh, for pellet production or for uh, uh, their own fuel production to combust it on-site without pelletizing. We have a system installed for peat drying and bracketing. Uh, we have systems on the paper pulp, uh, we have systems on the DDGS from the ethanol uh, industry mice and ethanol industry. Uh, We have dryers on the sludge, different kinds of sludge from municipalities and from industry. We have installation on sugar beet pulp for making uh, fibers for human consumption. And we have done a few other applications which are not yet commercial, like uh, drying and expansion of tobacco. Tea, we are uh, in discussion with uh, the agriculture industry, especially the citrus and the olive industry in Spain, which is seeing this technology of, of, with great interest because uh, the waste uh, from the industry, which is produced today, often gives them no value, fetches nothing. But if they use the our process to dry it, they can dry it and integrate the technology to take the heat back to the citrus process from juice processing systems and produce high-quality animal feed, which will give them a value addition. So valorization of waste is one trend that's picking up now, and we have more and more interest in the industry, which we hopefully will be working more. And then in the energy sector, we have, as I mentioned before, biomass. We have installed applications for the bagasse trine for both combustion fuel and also for the next generation ethanol, I cannot name the company but we have done a lot of work with one of the large uh, American corporations testing uh, bagasse as a feedstock dried through our process for a better uh, yield of ethanol after the their process. So th- these are some of the industries that that we have worked and we are currently pursuing and hope to work in the new areas.
0: Yeah and I'm sure you'll have people from across all those industries listening to this this podcast so that's a, a helpful thing as well. So we summarized what the dryer looks like. We talked about some of the industries. I want to circle all the way back to something you said earlier, and then you, you kind of mentioned it a couple of times, but the explosion, the traditional safety options, so fire and explosion protection, um, inert gas systems, you you called them you know, non-productive equipment. So add-on equipment, engineering add-ons that add a cost but don't necessarily help with um, productive use. And this is an issue. It's a It's a big problem that we have from a... Standpoint of justifying installing this equipment, so it can sometimes be an uphill battle for um, installers or health and safety managers or those sort of things to to make the business case. Um, We'd all like to say that making it safe is the uh, the utmost importance, and it is from my perspective. Um, But if you over qualify or over engineer, you're going to have less adoption of the technology, so people won't actually use it because it's too expensive. Um, So there's that kind of balance. So you mentioned this non productive equipment and. I like this as a potential solution because now your your safety system, the superheated steam, is also helping in other areas, and not just not just energy reuse. That's one that you know would maybe talked about quite a bit, but also in in having a um, potentially a better product. And you mentioned some of the benefits. So you mentioned you know that it's safer running these operations. You won't have a fire explosion. You mentioned that the actual operating costs are lower. I think you talked about pollution a bit, you know, some other areas that are benefits of this type of technology. Is there anything else that you think would be interesting for the the listener that are benefits? You mentioned vertical, um, you know, smaller footprints. Uh, What else, you know, goes under these, it being a productive piece of equipment as well, using the superheated steam approach?
1: Uh, Chris, I would like to add one uh, important aspect in, uh, of uh, using our technology is no emissions to the atmosphere. This means that uh, we do not emit particles or VOCs to the atmosphere, thereby no post-treatment equipment is needed with our dryers when it comes to VOC destruction or particle destruction Bef- uh, cleaning of the off gases are, are required. They're completely eliminated. Uh, the typical systems used today to uh, clean the VOCs and the particulates are, are RTOs and uh, wet electrostatic filters. And these are, are quite an investment as well, I would say, which again I use term as a necessity to meet the regulatory requirements. but not adding to the production process in in a positive way, let's say. They are must, but you don't really get out of it so much. And the energy required, for example, for RTO systems are quite high, and they have to be uh, used all the time, like you use natural gas or other processes to just heat up the off gases to seven hundred degrees Celsius to destroy all the VOCs, which we do not need with our system.
0: And RTO is, I'm sure people that are in the industry know, but I had to look it up so that I knew what the exact words were. Regenerative thermal oxidizer. That's correct. So that's, I mean, that's really interesting. I think the more we can be innovative in our safety approaches such that they are adding value, um, I think we're going to have safer, safer industries overall. So I applaud the approach um, and I really want to try to help get this technology out there through the podcast as a potential alternative. There are likely other alternatives as well in, You'll likely hear from them on the podcast as well in the future. But one, one question that comes up over and over again in, in my research in the incident database is that for, especially for dryers, it seems, startup and shutdown and emergency stop are sort of the areas where you have the fires and explosions happening. Emergency stop, certainly, we the, the flock, flocculent uh, nylon material the case I mentioned earlier, which was episode 76 of the podcast. That's exactly what happened. They had a emergency stop. They had a a core in the th- in the a core thread break in the dryer, so they had to shut it down to to re tie it. Um, and that's when they had the product, which in that case was nylon thread, settle out on the heating elements. They started to smolder, and then when they fired the dryer back up, they had a gas explosion in one of the chambers, and that propagated throughout the nylon fibers, uh, which acted as combustible dust throughout the the entire ductwork at the facility. And we see this time and time again these sort of startup, shutdown, emergency stops, as being an issue for for dryers certainly, and then for also other processing equipment. We talked about before in the podcast. What does these um, procedures look like for the superheated steam system? You probably men remember the first time we talked about it. That was the first question I asked you. <laughs> was you know are they still safe at startup and shutdown? So maybe you can walk through what that process looks like for the listener as well.
1: Yeah, I'll 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 explain. Um, uh our system, how it is, uh, it, it is done. The dryer uh, is designed in a way that we do not have a lot of material inside the dryer at any given point of time. The drying time is about 10 to 15 seconds. So even if we have designed a dryer to pro- process 50 tons per hour of product through the dryer, there will be around 100 to 200 kilo material inside the dryer at any given point of time. So let's say the power fails and there is emergency stop, everything stops working. Uh, Then the feeding will stop, the discharge will stop, everything will stop, but we still have, let's say 200 kilo material inside the dryer. This will end up in the bottom of the cyclone because even if the power is cut, the fan keeps rotating for a few seconds, which will transport the product to the cyclone bottom. Then what we recommend is if that has happened, do not open the system when it is hot. So if if it's a longer stop after the MLC stop, they need to allow it to cool down under uh, 100 degrees Celsius, and then the system can be opened Because as soon as you open anywhere, any flanges, any manholes, any inspection holes, you will allow the air to come inside because once there is no pressure and you create uh, an opening, let's say if you create, unfortunately, two openings, one at the bottom, one at the top, so you get a chimney effect, you directly get air sucked in. And if the product is really hot, the dryer surfaces are really hot, then you will get a risk of paralysis. And in unfortunate cases, if you are not careful, you can get even fire inside the dryer. So, so that is uh, uh, one way of protecting the system. Is the smaller one material at the bottom of the cyclone? Let it, let it alone, let it cool down, and then you can open the system and and uh, and uh, check, inspect if you would like to. But but often it is enough to restart the system if if the fault is outside the dryer. You can restart it. Uh, Without opening anything because then we start the outlet system and allow the product go out and then reheat the system again and restart the plant that can be done But when we start from cold, let's say during startup the procedure is strictly defined and it is to start the, the, the system the fan and then you heat up the air inside the dryer without any product 220, 130 degrees Celsius, once we reach that, we displace the air inside the dryer by spraying a small amount of water, or if steam is available, we can inject steam for a short period to take all the air out. Then we start feeding the product. So you you first create an inert atmosphere with steam, then you feed the product, the biomass or other product, in the dryer. And shutdown procedure is similar to the emergency stop procedure. So when we shut down the dryer, uh, we allow the dryer to cool down before we uh, we uh, recommend that anything is opened in the dryer for inspection, for repair, for for other uh, purposes. Yeah? So the, the key is to keep the system inert even during shutdown or after shutdown. And when we do the startup, we we make the atmosphere inert before we feed the biomass.
0: Yeah, thank you for going through that, and it's good to hear both the technology side, but also just the the uh, reinforcing that if you do have an emergency situation, that you should let the dryer cool down um, and ensure that there is not a a potential fire or explosion hazard before you open it up. There are probably people operating dryers right now that are hearing that and going, "Oh, that that makes sense." Um, there's a reason that makes sense because it, it actually leads to um, people being injured because your, your operator then is at the location where he's opening and oxygenated the system and that's when you can get a, a draft a backdraft flash fire or or an explosion so i mean that's the whole overview we talked through the ways that dryer fires and explosions happen what are some of the traditional protection options um, around preventing the fire preventing the explosion also inerting Talk about superheat STEAM, um, the benefits of this type of technology, how it's actually implemented, um, startup and shutdown. Is there any last comments that you want to leave the listeners with um, for this episode before we close it up?
1: I, I think I have explained and uh, you have, ex- you have uh, added some comments, which sounds good. So I don't think I have anything more to add on. And uh, if anybody is interested in knowing more about us, of course, you will link it through. So... so uh, anybody is welcome to contact us at any time in future when they listen to this podcast or have any questions, any more clarifications or anything is needed. Yeah.
0: Well, that's excellent. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, uh, sharing your knowledge and your, your 20 years of experience in this field with the listeners. And um, we may even get a chance to get you back on the podcast again in the future. So thank you. Thank you very much. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Prem Verma, Managing Director of Swedish Exergy based out of Gothenburg, Sweden. We've been talking about preventing dryer fires and explosions using superheated steam. We talked about the different ways that dryer fires and explosions happen, and it's all really around the different elements of the fire triangle or the dust explosion pentagon. We talked a bit about the difference between having a dust explosion in the dryer versus having an off-gas explosion. I talked a bit about some of the issues that we've had with the Instant Database, and really we're committed to reporting these types of fires and explosions that are occurring in any industry handling combustible dust, even if the explosion itself, the fuel was the the gaseous product of that, because I don't want people to forget about that as another option of, of how the explosion happens. We talked about what are the traditional protection options, including spark detection, extinguishing, uh, fire quenching systems, suppression or venting options in the dryer, um, and also inerting the dryer using nitrogen systems which can be expensive to have um, maintaining especially as you as you increase in the, the size of your, your drying system and we also talked about using flue gases and some you know difficulties that, that can arise there. We also talked about some interesting things around regulation We didn't get to too much on regulation certification of these systems that's probably a topic that we'll have in the podcast in the future um, but we did talk a lot about this superheated steam as being an alternative option. I really like this concept of we'll call it non-productive. Safety equipment that's actually an oxymoron <laughs> any safety equipment's probably productive um, because it helps you but uh you know that doesn't add value to the underlying product or process besides the safety component and then you know having safety systems that do actually add value in there. we talked about a lot of the benefits of these type of superheat steam systems, including operational expenses being uh, potentially lower, different profiles that can be used. Uh, pollution and emissions, which is a big one for these types of dryers. And then, again, fire and explosion safety. We talked all through that as well. And we closed off on this topic of startup shutdown and, and emergency shutdown as well, because these are the some of the areas that we're seeing some of the largest loss from these types of fires and explosions. Um, certainly, we do see fires and explosions that happen in dryers while they're operating, but we do see it during startup shutdown as well. Those tend to be pretty severe as well because then the workers are in the locations to have the system starting up. So I want to make sure we covered that. That's it for this episode. We have been, um, it's been a while since we talked about asking questions to the podcast. So if you have a question you'd like to have asked and answered on the podcast about dryers, about firing explosive safety in general, go to dustsafetyscience.com slash ask, A-S-K. We just started getting some questions that we're going to talk about on the podcast in future episodes there. That'd be a great place for you to go as well. If you're interested in connecting with PREM and learning more about Swedish exergy, and we will have contact information in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 85. Wait if you contact them there. We'll try to get some some links to material to better explain visually what these driver systems look like. Although Prem did a great job in the interview um, describing describing the system in a way that we can all understand. So until next week, I want to say stay safe out there. Thank you for everything you're doing. in you interested handling combustible dust around the world. And I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead.